Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 106 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode is the 120th edition of the US Open. Not so much the result, though that caused more than its fair share of discussion, but lots of people wondering if Wingfoot last week might go down as the turning point in the discussion about distance. If you're playing the drinking game, might be best to hit pause now. Go set up camp next to the liquor cabinet or the fridge because you're in for a very long episode. <laughs> Joining me to dissect what unfolded in New York, but more importantly, the bigger implications of what unfolded in New York are two of the game's most respected voices. Let's start in the US with blogger, author, critic, and co-founder of State of the Game, Jeff Shackleford. Jeff, so much content coming out of your site this past week, it was difficult to keep up. Looking forward to getting our teeth into some of the big picture stuff today. Yes, I am uh, as well. I, I, uh, I'm excited about this. This was, this was, uh, I, I'm with you. This could be a, a turning point in all this. We'll see. Something strangely energizing about the whole week, but we'll talk about that uh, as we go, because I must introduce our other co-host from lockdown in the state of Victoria. He's one third of the recently launched Clayton DeVries and Pont firm, while also maintaining a position as perhaps Australia's most respected and important commentator on and columnist on all matters relating to golf. I speak, of course, of the one and only Mike Clayton. Clayton, I'm sure you've got plenty to say about happenings at Winged Foot. Looking forward to hearing all of it today. Thank you, Rob. It was interesting, to say the least. Yes, nicely put. Nicely understated, Clayton. It's one of the great things about you. You're always so (laughs) understated. Let's start with knee-jerk reactions. It's been almost 24 hours, uh, Shaq, so that's probably not such a knee-jerk reaction. Is there an emerging overall theme that you're seeing of how Bryson's win is being viewed? I would just say conflicted is what I'm seeing. I, I haven't really gone deep into the stuff today. Uh, I saw enough over the last few days. I wanted to let my brain reset, but I am, I, I, you know, I'm hearing a lot of pushback from people going, well, he short game was amazing, which it was. He's always been able to score, which is something that has made him scary and different than other just just people who bomb it out there to those who don't quite understand how how good he is because he's won tournaments at every level because he can score and you know all the scientific stuff great but he's never lost that ability and he did it to incredible uh, with incredible success at, at, especially numerically if you look at the stats it's amazing what he did but uh, there's clearly an audience that wants to dig in and celebrate this. This is just him and athleticism, and it was great. And there's no question. You can't argue. He was the best player. He, he, he won the U.S. Open outright. Uh, but then there is an interesting number of, of, of responses that are clearly not comfortable with what they saw, not understanding. And I think then finally, most tellingly, if you read uh, the two things I posted from Rory and Xander Schauffele, you you now are seeing some players start to who are of his age group essentially or thereabouts. Not an old guy like Tiger, <laughs> but in their class, going, eh, eh, "This is okay. Yeah, he won fair and square, uh, but is this is this right?" I you know they're kind of they're all over the map with their their comments, but you you get the tone pretty clearly that they're not comfortable with it. Um- well, Rory certainly, I haven't read the, the Xander piece closely, but Rory certainly uh, was very, um, he was very uh, quick to point out nothing Bryson does is, is outside the rules. The, suge- the implication being the problem's not Bryson's, the problem is the rules, the regulations. Yeah. We haven't heard that before, have we, really, from the players? 
Or, or I felt like that. Maybe you tell me. I, I thought there was an implication that within the rules as they are right now, yeah. which is I. Yeah. But that may change. <laughs> oh, you think maybe they've heard that? They well, that was how I read that comment. I can get yeah. the exact quote, but I, that's how I read it. Is he's done it with within what our rules are right now, and uh, but he's obviously somebody who talks to people and knows that something might change. He has more. Po- he has a more positive attitude than I do about that. But <laughs> he might have more information. Check we might come. To yeah, that. I think he does. <laughs> I think that's fair to say, and I have no problem admitting that. Yeah, we might. Uh, we might come to all of that later. Clay, what was your sort of knee jerk reaction? You've been, as always, in there, active on Twitter, uh, talking the talk and fighting the good fight, and getting lots of support and plenty of detractors. Are you sensing an overall theme about sort of Bryson's win? And what was your own personal take of what we saw unfold at Winged Foot? It was very different sort of golf, wasn't it? Yeah, clearly, I mean, Bryson works with that um, Scott Fawcett, the decade guy who statistically has figured out that you've, the, the, the best way to score is at the ball as far as you can. So I, I saw your quote, Shaq, at the top of your site. The, the relationship between a properly placed shot to the fairway and the following one to the green is a real standard of measuring the merit of any course. Clearly that doesn't apply anymore. And... The Shambos figured out that the way to play is to hit the ball as far as you can onto the proper side of the hole, whether it's in the rough or not, because you're close enough to the green to gouge it on. Whereas previous to this generation, you never were. You couldn't gouge the ball onto the green out of that rough with a five iron, but you can with a wedge. So it's, the US Open's turned on itself, really. Instead of finding David Graham at Merion or Hogan at Oakland Hills or Nicholas at Bolshoi, they've now determined that the game is hit the ball as far as you can, miss it on the wrong side of the hole, and play from there. Because the fairway, hit, hitting the ball as far as Bryson does, you can't hit 25-yard wide fairways with any consistency. Mm-hmm. So if you do, it's a bonus. You know, if you haven't hit the fairway, that's a bonus. But the idea is to get it as far down as you can on the proper side of the hole. Now, where do you can where you can play to the green from? So it's completely anti what Tillinghast was saying and what Hogan and Graham did, which is you've got to hit the fairway to play the course effectively. Yeah, I, I one thing I'd say though that, that is different is versus the pass bomb and gouge we've had is that they're so far down that even if they're on the wrong side of the fairway and miss it, they're probably not going to make bogey. They're gonna, they're still going to yeah. be able to wedge it out and get it on the approach. And get up and down. The old bomb and gouge it was it was you did want to be on the wrong side, yeah. but they're now you know just with a wedge and a sandwich. It's it it it. But you get the advantage if you do miss on the right it's side. A, it's crazy. It's an ironic way to play strategic yeah. angle based golf, isn't it, Jack? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and that's the counter argument. Well, see, that's strategic. Yeah, that, yes, it is. It, there's no question. There is a strategy in it. Is it? But is it one that's uh, Interesting. Is it one that's really smart? Is it there? There are many questions you could ask. If well, it's really a proper strategy. Just on, on a rabbit hole. What about those people, Clates, who just take all the joy out of the game and break it down to an accounting system? Um, not being disparaging of Scott Fawcett, he's a clearly very intelligent bloke, and he has worked something out. And we see a lot of players using his system, and it works. But is there any joy in that as a game? <laughs> well. Yeah, there is. I, you know, I think it's 
interesting to work out what the statistical probabilities of the right play is. And I think he's shown that if you look at his numbers, he's probably right. Angles don't really matter because they don't matter because if you're going into a green with a short iron versus a four iron, you can, you can hoist it up high over any sort of bunker that was built 80 years ago to, to determine a strategy. And, yeah, he's saying, well, it doesn't, you know, it's silly to aim for a side of a fairway because the numbers say that it doesn't work. It's not worth it. So, you know, the trick for architects is to how do we counter that? You know, I know he hates centre-line bunkers, so he hasn't been to St Andrews, but presumably he would think that was a, a ridiculous golf course because it doesn't fit his formula of how golf should be, which is as long as you hit straight between the lines, then you can effectively play golf. So the trick is for the game is to how do you counter this with more – more, well, how do you counter it with golf course design to, to break that formula down and make it difficult to make it work or, or, or make players think more about what they're doing rather than just bashing the ball off the tee as far as they can? And the answer, you know, if you go back to it, the answer is at St Andrews, surely. I mean, that's the most strategic course. But, but of course, you know, we'll get to it. But the balance is so far out now. Yeah. But the ball goes so far, the balance is completely destroyed. So even St Andrews is irrelevant largely if there's no wind. So until the USGA does something about the ball, the balance is going to be you – know, the courses have to be now, and we saw it last week, um, 8,500 yards long to restore the balance. And no one's going to do that because no one has the room or the money. Well, and, money it's, or, and it's just yeah, not it's, sensible. It's a stupid way forward for the game, which makes no sense in the in the broader world. I, in a funny way, Shaq, there's an element of the Rubik's Cube to this, isn't there? Once you've solved it, it's no longer interesting. That's the danger for golf, isn't it? If we solve golf, if that riddle gets completely solved, like the Rubik's Cube, once you've done it, you've learned to do it a bit quicker, its appeal is very limited, isn't it, beyond that? Well, I don't look at players and see a lot of people enjoying playing golf these days, and maybe they never did. Um, but Matt, Matthew Wolf looks like he's enjoying it. Uh, Bryson, does, it's a joyless kind of game, but uh, to watch, but it's also his personality is a little different. But all in all, and again, the U.S. Open is not one you, you, you ever see people <laughs> having a good time at. But my sense is that just more and more players are going to be like Brooks Kepka. It's a job, and I do it, and I'm good at it. And then when I'm not uh, required to, I don't, I don't play. I want to go shoot hoops, and I want to go lift, and and all that. And at some point, that has is is a product of this style of play and some of it is a product of the uh money and is that something that that is good for the sport that it's a it's sort of a joyless mm. uh, way to play the game and you know there's a reason people are drawn to Bubba Watson even though he's complicated and can be kind of weird and moody at times he's an artist and he's a savant and it's fascinating to see the creativity um uh, you know, in Augusta, people still go down to go look at that spot yeah. <laughs> where he hit that wet shot because of what he did is so superhuman and moving the ball and and he's just so, he's so freakishly neat and cool and and um, and and people respond to that even though the guy is a little bit complicated like Bryson, it's special and is what Bryson does. Um, it's special in some sense, but it's not relatable. It's not. Uh, it's 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 hard to watch, and then of course he gets on the greens, 
And and that's even harder to watch with the the green book. Even though his short game is tremendous and his putting is just totally bizarre to look at somebody that with their knuckles turning white uh, who putts that well. And yet um, that's hard to do do because of the, this you know, the green reading book uh, thing. They they made the 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 arrows smaller to try and get rid of them, and they've actually ended up making just the game take longer. And I mean, I just don't know if people understand because I'm hearing it from people. In, the, in leading the game, how awful it looks on TV to watch some guy putting a green book six inches from his eyes to try to see these lines, and then we're waiting for him to putt. It's awful. It's awful TV, and it's embarrassing, and it's it's just wrong. It's just stupid. You just want to go, hey, the, the ball's right there in front of you. Why don't you look at what's in front of you instead of some stupid book? And even people who are casual fans just look at that and go, what is this? What am I watching? This is, well, even this people, is I don't get it. Even people who aren't fans, we, we recorded our good good podcast yesterday. One of the co-hosts, Adrian Logue, who we might get onto this, had some disparaging things to say about Gil Hands, which I suspect he'll regret uh, at some point down the track. He needs some re-education. His daughter, Clates, walked into the room, no great interest in golf. He had the golf on and Bryson was on the screen and she just said to him, why does he look so stiff? Complete non-golfer yeah. <laughs> looks at yeah. it and says there's something odd about that. The Bubba Watson comparison is interesting, Clates, isn't it? Because I was going to, to go here. The disconnect between recreational golf and the professional game is now complete, I think we can honestly say. There's there's almost lo- nothing left that you can relate to. None of, none of us can actually relate to the Bubba Watson shot on 10 at Augusta that Jeff just mentioned there, yet somehow uh, we find that captivating and enthralling. None of us can relate to the 390-yard drives that Wolf and DeChambeau hit on nine yesterday, but I'm not drawn to that in the same way. I wonder what, what's that about, I wonder. Well, because you can't see it. You can't. Those drives don't look any different to Nicholas's or Norman's drives 30 years ago on TV. Can't tell how far they go. So, so there's no and, – and, and even when you're in person, they don't – well, they do look ridiculous now, I suppose. I was going to say, you, you couldn't tell the difference between Norman's 300-yard drive and someone's 350-yard drive now, but you almost can. They look so... You just lose sight of them in the end. You can't see the ball in the well, end. You don't but, see the first 100 yards, do you? It's so fast that you can't see it till it's 100 yards off the club face. That's the truth. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it was funny. I was... I'm a name drop here. I was talking to Tom Weisskopf once, which was the most illuminating four hours I've ever had it. Talking, talking to someone about golf, and he, he was in Arizona, and, the, and the, they got him to come down to the ping factory because Bubba Watson was hitting balls. And he said, I was standing opposite him, watching him swing, and then I would look up and I couldn't see the ball. I couldn't find it because it was going so fast. I'd just stand behind him to actually see the ball, see the flight of the ball. So you're right when you're talking about you can't see it. But it's – um, it, yeah, you know, it looked awesome watching Greg and Jack drive the, and Seve drive the ball 40 years ago. And I, I'm not sure that, that this looks any more awesome, even though it's going 80 yards further yeah, or 60 yards further. I'm not sure the sound is as appealing either, is it? Uh, which I think actually plays a big part in it. You hear the sound of that ballada and persimmon. Is a, you, you occasionally see the videos bob up on Twitter of Norman when they're at Augusta or places where there's a lot of trees and you hear that reverberating. The sound of yeah. wood on ballada was... Something sort of special. Well, why didn't you have a microphone for that four-hour discussion with Tom Weisskopf, Clates? Yeah, it was. It That's was the world loss. I think we all was, would have enjoyed that, wouldn't we, Shaq? Four hours of Clayton and Weisskopf. I'd listen to that, wouldn't you? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. I, yeah. I would imagine there were a few um, 
There might be some bleeping that might be required. It might be three hours by the time you've removed it. Actually, Tom Weisskopf doesn't swear. I don't think he swears too much. At least uh, probably on the course he did, but uh, he was fairly famous for that, I think, Glates, wasn't he? Um, But he's a a great explainer of architecture and, and this kind of stuff. And... Well, so long ago, people wouldn't understand, but he has credibility as somebody who was legitimately absurdly long in his time off the tee. Uh, it was and, funny. You, know, you, you go back to that 75 Masters when he had a wedge into that green, you know, miles past anyone else that day. And no one said, oh, the ball's going too far. This is ridiculous. It was just, well, what a great drive that was. Because you know how much, I mean, these guys are all skillful, obviously, but you know how hard under that pressure to take that driver out and hit that thing so much part so much further than Nicholas and Miller did up that hole it was a, it was an amazing shot. Now it would just be you know yeah so what? Yeah, you know, I mean Johnson hit it what four eighteen down the seven four eighteen yeah four eighteen. Well, and down, you just you just hit on something else. Hole. Yeah, four eighteen on the ninth. Um, yeah. Is that's another thing? Is there isn't even any thought of what to pull, and that's less interesting. Too, because as we know, there's so much drama when somebody is between clubs. Like the 11th hole uh, at Wingfoot, I thought it might be one of those situations, and um, yeah, a few other holes, sixth hole. But it, we don't even get that thrill of whether they pull the driver and then pull it off. Now it's just sort of that kind of game is just just bomb it, and and if they don't hit it out of bounds, and and everything's all right. Wow. It's a bashing sport. <laughs> my, my great fear has been realised. Just another bashing sport. Who can bash the thing sort of the hardest, which is all fairly bleak. Let's get on to bigger implications. Obviously, Bryson's win was he, – he's a he's a divisive polarising character, isn't he, Jeff? We know that. Uh, he grates on some people, and I admit it personally. He grates on me a bit. He's not my cup of tea. Watching him play isn't my cup of tea, which doesn't make any of it less impressive, and I think you're right. Most people haven't given him enough credit over time for how good a player he is. He really is and always has been an extraordinarily yeah. good player. That's the that's the truth of it. The, 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 the sideshow that comes with it tends to get the focus and, and that gets a little bit lost. Are there bigger implications, Jeff? That in a world that in all senses seems to be more and more binary with each passing week, you know, <laughs> it can only be either good or bad. It can only be black or white, no shades of grey. These things aren't great for golf and – Clates has always said it's the shades of grey that make golf interesting when the, the decisions aren't so black and white. Are there bigger implications? I wonder what's the balance between those of us who've been saying for a long time that we think the ball goes too far, those who've come to that conclusion in recent years, and I think there's a fairly significant number of those, people who've started, who previously didn't have an interest but now think, you know what, this doesn't look like the golf that used to entertain me. But there is a whole new uh group of people uh, like Scott Fawcett and a whole bunch of others who really do seem to endorse that this is the road they want the game to go down. What's going to happen with that battle? Are there bigger implications? Oh, yeah, there are many. And the problem we have is is so much of society and the people running these organizations are just not very forward thinking. So they're not – I understand the short-term – enjoyment factor of that and and we've solved a way to play the game differently and somebody's doing it and isn't that exciting they're athletes and we can promote that they're athletes blah 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 uh but i think what bryson's done is it, it it's allowed some of the conversations we've had in the past to not look insane uh, with regards to discussions about where this would all head and yeah i'm still shocked 
uh, <laughs> some of the people who aren't really looking at him and going, that's not, this is not healthy for people to go down this route. Um, this is not ideal to be, be eating steak every night and, and trying to add weight and do all this stuff. There, there, there's no longevity in that. And it's going to be very hard for me to see him having a long career. And, and a lot of people won't care about that. It's about the short term. It's about cashing in, having your moment and, and being set for life kind of mentality. And it's up to the people in charge to say, well, that is that what we really want for our sport, especially in golf where their longevity has been a, 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 a beautiful thing in, in golf. And it's fun when uh, people hang around a long time because we get to know them and they build up these great resumes. And by the way, it's kind of fun when their style hangs around and works against the new style. And you know, ultimately with Bryson, that's, that's why I find it, it, it kind of defeating or deflating is the word because I don't care what he does. And I love that he's, he's thinking outside the box and he's taking advantage of all these tools. What's deflating is that you feel like it, it, uh, there just aren't other ways to play the game. And that's what Xander Shoffley's tone and is kind of sad when you read it. Cause you just realize, God, I, I can play as well as I want. It's never going to be good enough because this style is now going to be the only style. And the sport has never truly been that way, especially in the U S open. In fact, it's probably had a bias the other way against this and to see it flipped so dramatically is eye-opening i would hope for a lot of people and and then i hope they kind of really think about what that does to a person's body especially if you're 15 16 17 years old to eat like that and try to do that stuff and 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 last thing on this i have there's an article i haven't put on my blog i'm not going to put it on the blog because i just didn't i didn't feel right about it but uh, it was just a little throwaway line in an article in the la times here about a kid who was a Disney child star, and he's now he's a good golfer, and he went to Burroughs High in uh, Burbank, which happened to be the high school of both my parents. And uh, nice kid, you know, aspiring player, obviously a good player, but he mentioned he's trying to add weight because of what Bryson was doing this summer. And you read things like that, and you just go, oh, no. Oh, no. Is he going to in and out and, and, and having two double-doubles and, and trying to have a lot of extra meat in his life to, to get – like this and 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 what do we want that for teenagers is that a good idea I mean, it's just all this stuff you just go who at the the governing bodies is is anybody raising their hands in the room going this is an emergency situation this isn't just something we've neglected it's now an emergency situation if people are going to be changing their bodies to play golf that's just 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 ridiculous and it, it, the other thing it does, of course, Shaq, is it excludes all the people for whom golf was a great sanctuary, who didn't weren't interested or weren't capable of the exactly. football, the basketball, the, all yeah. the super athletics. But you always had golf, and you could get you could be Tom Kite and get good at golf. No disrespect Damn to right. Tom Kite, and isn't that yeah? And that was great. That's a great thing about our sport. Yeah, but uh, as you say, the, Corey Pavin, I mean yeah. Wayne Levy. You go through the you know all those things. It's it's just uh, so now we're going to have it have to be a certain height. Uh, so it's swing just, speed, it's didn't you depressing. tell us? Aren't, don't oh, the yeah, yeah, coaches yeah, the make time. the decision based on swing speed. Yeah. The rest we well, can teach. They want to see your numbers. They want to see the numbers. Yeah. They don't. They don't. I mean, I know some coach coaches who still aren't that way. And uh, in fact, the coach of the year here in, in Division One college golf is uh, still somebody who looks at how a player scores. Um, and he's got a built an unbelievable program at Pepperdine doing that. But 
you know, for the most part, they look at the numbers, yeah, and they want to they want to see where and 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 I and, you know, I don't totally fault them. Do you? I mean, no. If this is where the sports is going, you probably do need to get somebody who. Well, uh, I suppose that, dep- that I suppose that depends in some way, Shaq, on motivation. Clates, do you sense a difference in the reasons elite players play to when you mm. played as an elite player? Are there is there a different motivation? I mean, it's almost beyond question. Lucas Michel is an outlier in that he will likely remain amateur, and if he doesn't, he certainly remained amateur for much longer than many others who would have, with his skill set, already sort of turned. Is there a difference? Do you think? You think back to. You were probably in the last era of the tail end of the last of the great amateurs, I guess is a weird way to put it. But um, do you think there's a different motivation? Is it just about the money, I guess, is what it comes down to? Can you just make loads of money playing golf? And so it's a, it's attracting different personalities than what it used to. Well, I think people, the kids are always attracted to golf at the start because they love to play. Isn't the attraction of golf how much fun it is? So I don't think kids take up golf with the intention of being golf pros. They, if they get good at it, they do, but... Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, um, again, I won the Australian Amateur in 1978 and, and it had been going since 1894 and six players had turned pro previous to me. Every single player after 1978 turned pro. So that was kind of when it changed. So, um, so you're the problem. Well, you started it. <laughs> no, no, I didn't start it, but, um, <laughs> There's no such thing as a career in amateur golf anymore. No one sees no. playing amateur golf seriously as a legitimate career, not in the financial sense, but serious amateur golf. When Stuart Hagerstad maybe, but you know, when I was playing, the, the, the amateur golf was populated by men with jobs and families who played serious amateur golf and they practiced as hard as they could, as their jobs would allow. And it, and it was seen as a legitimate career in golf to play serious amateur golf. And that just doesn't happen anymore. I mean, kids now, and, and, and this goes back to your initial question, kids now who don't make it mostly give up golf. They don't play anymore. So that tells me, I can't tell you how many kids I know who were great amateurs or really good amateurs in Australia, turned pro, didn't do any good and just don't play golf anymore. The vast majority of them don't play golf anymore, which tells me they never loved the game in the first place. So perhaps that makes your point. Because I know that if I'd, you know, if I'd turned pro and not done any good in two years and had to quit and get a job, I still would have played golf every, every week. I would have got my amateur days back and played amateur golf. What would you have done for, for a job, Clates? God, no, I, I can't imagine I'm, you with a job. No, I don't think anybody no. who knows you could imagine you with a job. I, I often think about that. No, I, I wonder what I would have done. Um, it's, it's a horrible thought. The world's not a better place if you have a job, Clates. I, I'm not dealing with that, so let's let's never no. speak of that. No. Uh, uh, again, I, I think you told me once you might have gone into um, turf, turf grass. That's what I would have done. Yeah. That's what, you know, no, knowing... Now, if I'd known that, what I know now, that's, I would have done what John Stone and Bruce Grant did, my two partners in the business, and gone and been a superintendent. That would have been a brilliant job for somebody who loved golf like I did. I would have loved it. Yeah. I couldn't see you clashing with committees in any way, shape, or form at any club that you worked at, Clothes. It would have been a wonderful, smooth relationship. Yeah. <laughs> relationship. Yep. For- for all uh, all concerned, what's going to be the upshot, Jack? Are you hearing anything out of the USGA? Are there rumblings? Is there? I, I think, in a funny way, Bryson's win is probably the most talked about US Open win 
for quite a while, certainly beyond golf. In a funny way, he's done golf a favour in that way, hasn't he? I mean, if, if no publicity is bad publicity, uh, then it's been sort of good in that sense. But what's your sense on what we'll see? We know the Distance Insights report got all pushed back by COVID. Uh, does this hasten something happening or make it more complicated? He's going to try a 48-inch driver next week, I think. Bryson, he's gone out and stated publicly and boldly now that he's a major champ. He's going to continue down this path, and he yeah. hopes that the kids follow along, that the kids out there see it and see that they can do that too. So the, I guess the, the, the lines have been set, haven't they? They have. Um, I have no uh, insight, no knowledge. I was not uh, granted a credential to go back to the U.S. Open and be there, so I, I couldn't uh, gauge what the vibe is. If I had to guess, just looking at the way the USGA is going as an organization, um, I think they're going to be very conflicted now about doing something because they'll look like they're targeting somebody. And they are more desperate to be loved than ever before. And that was something that you, you guys know from reading what Frank Hannigan would write on my website or what he would say in his golf digest writings or wherever, um, that, that, that was always the, the, the hurdle to getting something done that was real action. Maybe I'm guessing he's speaking from experience on grooves on that one. Um, and they're worse than ever in that sense of, of, of being insecure, of needing to have a younger audience. And, and you look at their people, they've run off everybody who's of a certain age and they've, they've gone to a very young staff. Um, they poured all their, uh, uh, you know, bunch of credentials and spots into social media. We got to get younger, cooler. And, and this athlete vibe, uh, is, has overtaken the marketing of athleticism, what I realized this week is that it, it taps something with people that if they they hear these guys are athletes, well, I'm a golfer and I'm an athlete, and, it, and it's narcissism. It makes them feel better about being part of the game. And so as the USGA gets so desperate to get more people into the sport or to like them or whatever it is, even though, by the way, the sport is exploding here right now, all because people have more time yeah, and it's a safe place to be. It has nothing to do with distance or what they're seeing on TV, but anyway – they have a desperation and insecurity that you see in the way they present themselves. And I just see the rest of the world not really being as uh, desperate as they are for whatever reason to be that way. And so I, I'm having a hard time envisioning them wanting to put up the fight for this um, for, for that reason. And also just being in their executive committee is just mostly corporate board types who are, who are corporate. And they are a, they, they kind of run like a business and it's hard for them to, it's always been an issue to want to interfere with somebody else's business. That's the conflict, so, isn't it? That the, the, the remit, the mission of the USGA is supposed to be about the integrity of the game above all else. And, you know, whatever that, whatever form that may take in growing the game or any of those other sort of annoying slogans. But the reality is, and this is always the case in golf, it's the business of golf that always bumps up and and, and makes things complicated, and that's true for them too. They're actually oh, the U.S. Open makes them whatever. a golf business and a not insignificant golf business. That's a big show, well, isn't and, it? right? And they laid out. Uh, there were several articles. They clearly shared information. They wanted this narrative out there. You know, everything they do they do right now is very calculated, and they had a narrative of two, a couple of numbers: how much they generate, how much the Open then uh, profits. 
and and they put that back into the game and that was um clearly to to let people know that this was a tough year and uh, that's fine whatever that that you need to put that out there i understand that but what you sense between that and the deal they announced with Pinehurst where this idea of bringing golf companies to Pinehurst and being helping be a chamber of commerce for the golf industry and now with these numbers exploding they don't want to be the ones to say okay uh, even though this is the perfect time to do something mm. with all these forces coming together, I sense they're going to be the opposite. Well, we don't want to mess up what's going on, even though none of these, these numbers that are up, uh, have anything to do with distance. I mean, I just got a, a press release I'm going to put up later, huge, huge uptick in golf equipment sales. None of that has to do with any kind of breakthrough that people are going, yes, that's, that's why I want to go spend money. Now no, I'll play golf. <laughs> right. No, they have time and it's safe. And dad doesn't have to go to the soccer game uh, right now on Saturday. And by the way, junior, uh, can't play soccer and he's kind of liking golf. I mean, I can't tell you how many cool things I've gotten where guys have written to me and, and they're so excited. They're, they're, they're kid kind of, uh, toyed with golf in this and they're, they're kind of liking it. Like, but again, none of it has anything to do with anything that these people have done with Grow the Game initiatives. Or It's just a, we've locked into something and addressed the biggest issue it turned out of all, which was time. So I, that's my view, uh, that they're just not going to – they're going the opposite direction as an organization that could act and has a desire to, the will. And I think the RNA is the opposite. I think they're – I don't know this, but I just sense they're, they're ready to go. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out. So do we finish up back where we were in 1980 with two balls? The, the and rest again, of the world golf again, ball. Again in 2000 with two drivers, Clates. If you remember that, we had that again. Was that 98, 99, I think it was, where you had the, the two different sets of rules about the drivers? Oh, the Arnold Palmer rule, yeah. Um, yeah, it would be interesting if the rest of the world went on its own. Because people in Australia... Yeah, would be. There's not one amateur golfer in Australia who would care about the ball being rolled back because we've been through it before and no one cared, no one gave up. And the problem is that the whole discussion of rolling the ball back is driven by the fearful American amateur who's scared of losing yardage. But the rest of the world didn't care when they took 25 yards, up to 25 yards off everybody in 1983. I'm not sure that's still up. the case, though, is it, Clates? We live in a very well, different information world now. Uh, I, I don't think anyone – there's not – well, I'm, I'm going to say there's not one player I know, which is not a huge sample, but I know, you know, I get to play around a bit. No one that I come across would give up golf if the no, ball no, went no, that, that five I agree yards yeah. further. That I agree with. I, I, no, I, but think, I think I think Rod's correct. There has been a little bit of a change uh, in, in the way people think about these things. The problem, the, but but back to my point, that require all that that can be dispelled by somebody simply saying, "Look, we've got the numbers. You are not going to lose yeah. any yardage, or if you do, you're barely going to notice it, and, and your buddy's also going to lose five yards." It's these guys that we are chipping away 35 to 40 yards of carry from because they've optimized these conditions and and we've come up with a way to deal with it. Or, you know, more likely the, the better way is to do it with a, with a tournament ball, but they don't want to do that either. So it's, it's so much of this is just them not wanting to do anything because they're going to have to take a hard stand on something. And that idea of saying to people, yeah, it turns out the stuff you've been buying 
uh, to play like the pros, uh, you know, for a few years now, it's it's really not giving you a boost. Obviously, it's a big difference from 25 years ago, but compared to last year's driver, you no, know, or well, the year before, no. Yeah. Don't kid yourself; um, it's the same stuff either. Uh, nobody can go to retail and buy a set of clubs with Dustin Johnson specs. That's just well, <laughs> not not without waiting yeah. quite some time and then realizing right. what a foolish move that actually was. Yeah, I mean, and, how um, many of the golf balls are played right now on the tour that are that are on the conforming list? Not but available. You can't buy. No. no. Yeah, there's quite I mean, a few. Jeff Ogilvie's old caddy made a good point on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. He said nobody ever took up golf because they could play with the same equipment the pros did. No, of course not. Yeah. No, it's a draw. I get the connection, but you're right. No, nobody goes right in, and, and most people are smart enough to know. I, isn't it, I a don't con- want isn't it only a connection, Shaq? And I think this is a big issue about golf. Once you're in the bubble, once you're a golfer, all of these things make sense. From the outside, none of them make sense. So the person who's never played golf wouldn't expect to be able to go and buy the driver that Rory McIlroy uses. That would be stupid. I'm a beginner, and he's as good as golf can be played. Why would we yeah. play the same equipment? Once right. you're in the bubble, it makes perfect sense. You know, that classic old con trick, oh, if I could hit the driver like Rory, I'd be a much better player. And, you know, we, we buy into it, and I think we know we buy into it. But from the outside, it makes no actual sense, which brings us to something that is starting to annoy me more and more. What's the business case for just continuing so stridently to defend this position where distance is all we can and all we want to sell? Is that... It seems to me that that, until this COVID thing and the bump that you've just talked about, Shaq, that was committing to servicing an ever-shrinking market. That's what that was as a business plan. There's less and less golfers every year, but we're going to continue to fight over those golfers with the same message rather than commit some of our resources to making the pie bigger, having more golfers, and then see if we can you know, fight over the new golfers, not just the shrinking market that right. was golf. It seems like a dumb business decision from people who are good at business, Shaq. Explain it to right. me. Right. And they focus in on a, an even smaller group that is uh, of means that, it, I mean, Mark King came out and said it. I think it's six or no, 800,000 people that love to replace their driver, and, and that's really what it is, is that group is, that's where the profit margin is for them. Titleist is obviously different because they make all their money on the – on the ball and and it's a it's a you know it's the ball that the daughter knows that if she gets it for dad on father's day it's the it's the right gift and it it's it's a brand thing besides the quality it's a quality thing but she doesn't know that but the brand she knows it's it's the it's it's synonymous with the golf ball and why of course we 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 won't just go into this rattle but we we know that that they would continue to be the number one ball even if they took 10 dipples off the ball and that was whatever the solution was but but the idea that seizing in on those 800,000 people that get them to just kind of buy their uh, a new driver over and over again is so bizarre because as you say you know where where's the discussion about well bifurcation could allow companies to make a more even better beginner club maybe it isn't conforming or something maybe it's just this crazy sized head driver i don't know what it is but they don't have an interest in that. They've never shown an interest in really making great beginner clubs and bring people into the game clubs. Or how about the drive, chip, and putt set? That's just for kids inspired by the drive, chip, and putt. That's a great little starter thing. You know, they. I mean, they do it. They make it. They make stuff. But the the profit margins aren't there. So the passion isn't. The only passion is to defend the market that is 
guy making a $200,000 a year who kind of wants to be a pro. He's not, but he wants to think he's buying the best stuff and picking up 10 yards. And it's just, uh, it's not a, it's just not a, a sizable audience. So that's why I've never understood why they're not more passionate. Somebody, you know, you know, one company isn't just saying, thinking a little bit differently that way. What's well, not really encouraged in golf is a different thinking. That's part of the, it's probably part of the problem in many ways. Let's talk about the golf course, Clates, uh, the course itself and the setup. Lots of criticism of the course being too narrow. Lots of people defending, well, that's what a US Open is supposed to be. It was a bit of a throwback US Open in that sense, wasn't it, Clates? What was your take on winged foot and how it played? I've never been there. I assume it's a really good course. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's, I'm sure, in fact, better than that. I assume it's a great course. Um, it just looks out of scale. You can't hit fairways that are that wide with the ball going as far as it does. So, you know, it's just, you don't see the golf at Tillinghast envisage being played there because, because you don't see it being played much off the fairway. So, you know, the ball goes 30 yards too far and the fairways are 15 yards too narrow. That, that, but, but, you know, the, the greens look old school and cool and, yeah, you know, there were lots of wild putts and hmm. the ball's coming back off backboards and if you use the slopes, it was... So, so the, mo- the most interesting shots were the shots coming into the greens that use the slopes effectively. So, so it was it was really fun to watch the ball coming into the greens, and and not enough balls went in the bunkers. For every bunker shot we saw, we saw five shots hacked out of the grass a foot short of the bunkers, because the grass wouldn't let the ball go into the bunkers. Yeah, well, Matthew Wolf had that horrible one on ten, didn't he? Which was uh, he had to yeah. it almost at the hosel. Oh, that was an amazing shot. To, it, was yeah, an, it was. Yeah. It was an yeah. incredible so shot. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, just just so yeah, and then you know, the tenth hole, which was. Hogan said it was a three iron into some guy's bedroom. It was a nine iron yesterday <laughs> from the tee that Hogan hit the, the yeah. three iron. Well, two twenty four Bryson and an eight iron. So, and I'm assuming right. yesterday's, but yesterday's tee is the tee they used to always play. Okay, right. So, now it was a helping right to left win, but still, it, <laughs> I mean it, Roger Malpe just finally got it's a nine iron. <laughs> yeah, so so Hogan was right. It was the three on the three on would have gone into the guy's bedroom over the. Oh, green. it would have been in his front yard. <laughs> what do you mean? It would have gone over the house. Yeah, so um, uh, you know, it's um, so Jack, th- thoughts on the course. We uh, we recorded a podcast yesterday. I mentioned that Adrian Logan sort of <laughs> laid some blame at the feet of Gil Hans. We'll talk about that in a minute, Clates, and the the process of doing the course design and then 10 years later it's really got nothing to do with you but it's still got your name on it however yeah, presented but yeah uh Shaq what was your sort of take on the the course at Winford I think that's I'm guessing you're going to agree with uh Clates on that but we did have I thought a surprising number of people defending the notion of what was a bit of a throwback US Open wasn't it we've seen some different stuff in yeah. the last few years uh, I put me in that category because of uh, two things one they've had a lot of things go wrong and first of all, they have to err on the side of caution a little bit. So I admire them doing that. They want to put on they want to put on tournaments <laughs> where we're not talking about their screw ups, but we're talking about the winner and where you feel. And nobody, I don't think anybody, could come away from that feeling like the wrong guy won. The best player mm-hmm. won who mapped out the right strategy. We can quibble with <laughs> you know no. with uh, what's going on in the game, but the best player won. There were no debacles. That's a home run for right right now for the USGA. They just can't be uh, getting cute with things. So I think they did a great job in that sense. You know, the fairways, 
I, I saw what they tried to do because I put those aerials up every night on my site and I really looked at them. And I saw that they were trying to do, which was make guys curve the ball to get that prime. There's several holes where you just you just turn it a little and you really, you really shorten it and you get this prime spot. It's just that when they set those lines and, and created that, that was just that that was that was not thinking of a world where there's probably ten guys in that field who can carry it three forty. And there there are another twenty guys who can carry it three fifteen, three twenty with regularity. And um and and that I don't know how you set up a course for that. So I thought they did the best they could in terms of trying to... And the other thing is the USGA has been slammed for losing the U.S. Open identity. So these guys have been charged with restoring that identity. And so I think they did a great job when you consider all those things, plus the club's irrational about scoring and wanting it to be hard and the superintendent's out spot fertilizing the rough. And that's all silliness. And you had two very prominent lost balls. And I'm surprised it wasn't more. So well, they I had thought, 12 spotters every hole, didn't they? So. <laughs> they did. They did. And then, you know, and they still had a debacle there yesterday with that, which is brutal for Harris English because, gosh, he sure played great in spite of that after that. I mean, that was that was devastating. I mean, how how brutal to have to go back to the first team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Wow. laughs> I mean, just and, – and by the way, the you know, you got the leaders up there and everybody's around. Oh, yeah, yeah. But – so I, I, don't, I have no idea what Gil Hans did wrong. I thought the green restorations were amazing. I do look at the old photos to what Clates' point. Um, and Clates, you saw that photo I just posted. I posted of um, number six where you do see the width and you do see very little rough or any rough uh, uh, right on those bunker edges between fairway and bunker or green and bunker. And as much as they restored it, you're right. Not enough balls were getting in those those bunkers. I, I do wonder if there just was too much rough around the greens. But that's certainly not Gill's fault. And that I don't even know if that's that's USGA's fault. They're they're kind of I'm like what I yeah that's a that's one to review for sure. But but you do look at that 1929 U.S. Open and it's like wow look at the width and look at the look at the way the bunkers are just right next to the green. It uh, it did it does look cool, but I, I don't know. I thought the green complexes are just so neat. Um, I'm going to put up a post though. The last thing on the course tonight, the East Course there is much better. It's more interesting, more varied, and all the members will basically tell you that. Well, Jim Nance has done a piece in Golf Digest, and I actually spoke to him about it because he's pretty excited about it. And he came up with a composite course there. Ooh, and well, that's the funny part. So when we were having the conversation about the piece, he was uh, he's a member and he was obviously and he reads my blog and I think he was wanted to see what an architecture fan's thought was. So he took me through it and uh, <laughs> as he took me through it and I said, "Well, and I'm sure in the piece because it hadn't been published yet. This was right after the PGA." And I said, "I'm sure in the piece you you mentioned that, yeah, Royal Melbourne composite course uh, no, but that's a fine point. There, <laughs> the really? silence was just great and classic, you know, Jimmy kind of, I could hear you. He's kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Damn, that would have been good in the column too. But anyway, the column came out great. I read it. I finally got it. And he came up with a hell of a composite course. There's one long walk in it. And it's really not that big of a deal when you think about today's world. Um, and I think that would be a better way to play Wingfoot. It's just it, it, a little more variety of holes, a little more character. And 
I think it would be neat as hell. I, I don't think they would consider it. But um, on the other hand, for the club, uh, the, the beef in 2006 was not anything the USGA did or the way the tournament played out. But the, the East course got destroyed oh, by tents and things. Yeah. And this would kind of force a change in that. And let's face it. Uh, corporate hospitality is, is, is going to be blown up and rethought after this pandemic. And there's going to be way more emphasis on outdoor seating and, and way less emphasis on this come in, pave a fairway and, and build a tent and, and then have a bunch of idiots sit inside watching it on TV when the action's right out their door. I mean, it's just, it's so don't, the whole thing get, is just kind of, I get me I mean, started I get it. on that. That's yeah, the, it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. That's the uh, yeah. Long walks don't bother athletes, Shaq. So no, that, that's not an argument that's against right. the opposite that's course. Right. Well, a lot of them might get their sprints. Yeah, they'll, 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 the they'll chew it up. They'll yeah. chew it up. Clay, so, so I was going to say, and the, and the proper composite course, when they, the old order, which hopefully they go back to, there was the long walk between the the 12th hole, which was the 18th green on the west course. Right. And the 13th hole, which was the third green on the west course, the third tee on the west course. That was a long walk. That was a 300-yard walk at least, probably. Yeah, and he so, says his 200 yards, so it's yeah. just Yeah, which was, which, which was fine. Yeah, I'm, yeah. so, so okay, long. I welcome it. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of time to think about what you've just done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people, sometimes it can be a good thing. Need, it, you know, yeah. need, need the reset. In fact, there were two. There were two long walks on the Royal Melbourne Composite Course because they played the the uphill path three on the East Course, and you walk the whole of the sixteenth on the East to get to the seventeenth. That's end. right. Yeah. yeah. So it had two long walks, and no one ever. Thought and the whole it. time you're walking past that sixteenth, Clutch, you're thinking to yourself, "This would be a cool little hole to play, wouldn't it? <laughs> Why can't we play this? <laughs> this is a great golf hole, uh, as you do with everything that you see at Royal Melbourne. What about that, that Clutch? I mean, uh, nobody else, I don't think, has criticised Gil Hands." Uh, but that notion that, you know, I think you'll only redid the greens, if I'm not mistaken, as well, or predominantly yeah, the greens. But as work on did the he, fairway bunkers he did as well. uh, okay, shifted yeah, so. and restored and blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. But, yeah. But the architect getting criticism for what's essentially a setup issue. You must have come across that, I'm guessing, Clay. You must have returned to a course at some point in your career where you've thought to yourself, I really wish they weren't mowing this in this particular way. Uh, that must be difficult because it's still got your name on it, doesn't it? Well, no, because in Australia we don't have any obsession with rough. The, the, you know, Golf Australia, who run the Australian Open, have, have never grown rough outside of what the members play. Now, the greens have been harder and you know, they, they have some back tees in, in lots of places now, but the Open's never been set up in Australia uniquely for that tournament. It's basically what the members play with harder, faster greens and, and back tees. So I've never gone to a course that we've done and thought, well, you've screwed that up. But, you know, clearly it's a, you know, it's a US Open thing that, you know, you know to alter the nature of the design to suit the tournament. Yeah, a US Open and winged foot thing perhaps as – Shaq alluded to there, the membership there is a very, very, very uh, involved membership. <laughs> You'd probably put it that way. They're, they're not just uh, they're not uh, passive well, bystanders, yeah. are they? If you, uh, it's still a good listen. You know, if you, if you, uh, even though it's post tournament, in fact, it might even be a better listen. Um, Neil Regan, the historian, was on with Andy Johnson on his fried egg pod, and uh, you'll learn it's just some great stuff about Winkfoot and great stuff about Tillinghast. Neil has an amazing way with words and describing some of the things that he he does really awesome stuff but one of the things you do pick up that i was not aware of because i haven't discussed with gil 
the ins and outs of that process. But <laughs> you do pick up from Neil. There were there were um, quite a few things that that the members were very active in um, shooting down. And then as the tournament was going, I started looking up some old photos and 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 realized, yeah, there's quite a few things actually they did not get to restore. So yeah, it, it's it's a good lesson, and you do get a sense of. Um, you know, nothing major that they overruled them on, but just but but little stuff here and there. You go, oh well, huh? Why would you, you know, why would you, uh, <laughs> why would you resist that? The main one being the old fourth green was the one green that that was a crazy Biarritz, and they have not put back. And Neil hopes they still will consider. And I just think the the rave reviews they've gotten for the work that Gil did and on the East Course, they will revisit it. So. Uh, but maybe they'll listen to Adrian and they'll they'll change. I doubt it. I think they've they've got to be very pleased with the uh, the outcome of how the course Indeed. is. I, I reckon you're the fourth person that's mentioned that specific podcast to me, so I must make the yeah, effort to go and listen, listen to it yeah. today. Uh, lots of people. Yeah, Neil's great. Together. I mean, if every if every club had Neil Regan as a historian, uh, we would not be where we are now, which is hoping to keep restoring the great old courses. But uh, yeah. he's just he found some amazing stuff and. And then, you know, tells some of the stories of how you also got very lucky. Um, but the previous historian was really into the trees, and, and Neil really got the architecture and was a big part of the, the restoration. Let's hope that movement continues. USGA as marketing company, Shaq. This is a really interesting one. Their whole media presence. We see this here in Australia these days, too. In fact, I think we probably see it everywhere. Once the internet became a reality, formerly just administrative bodies – had to take on their own media. And that's been true of the PGA Tour, the European Tour. Here, Golf Australia oh, yeah. have a big team of their own people covering their own event. USGA in the same boat. What are the dangers of Cadre of social media influence. <laughs> yeah. No, well, and some yeah. pretty awkward-looking stuff to my eye. I'm not the target oh. demographic, I guess, but some awkward-looking stuff on some social media with, I don't know, TikTok dancing and, I don't know. As I said, I'm not the target demographic. I don't know. Where, I can't judge whether that's good or bad for what it is. But it's very different, isn't it, for the USGA? There must be some conflicting things going on there as well. Yeah, I don't understand it. Uh, no, I, I mean, I understand it, but it's just so, yeah, it, it, it won't work. It's it's not. They, again, it just goes back to Frank Anigan. They want to be loved, and they they're just consumed with, uh, age and getting younger and getting younger people and putting out younger people in prominent jobs and yeah, it's just it's just a relentless theme with them, and I don't know why really. Ultimately, it doesn't impact their mission, um, but you know, if I had a dollar for every executive or person higher up in golf that that told me a story about how at the dinner table, the, you know, junior saw this and that was the first time junior responded to anything that has anything to do with the way I make a living. And, and then they, that clouds their thinking. Yeah. I, I would just be a lot of money because it's, I hear it over and over again. And it's some weird make the kids like what we do. And, and, um, I, I, it's, it's kind of, you know, in the USGA's case, if you pull up their Twitter account, it's, it's embarrassing, uh, there's nothing really of substance. It's just this sort of uh, kind of dim, lightweight, or try to reach out to bros, or it's it's just all over the place too. That's the other thing. It's <laughs> it's, it's well, just it's just a mess. Doesn't it miss the mark, Shaq? Because it lacks the one thing that young people, this generation apparently uh, values above all else, which is authenticity. <laughs> Yes, 
you don't have that, you don't really have anything, do you? I mean, it looks stupid to everybody. It looks silly to me, but I'm not the target demographic, but it probably looks silly to the target demographic as well because you're trying hard. You're trying too hard. Uh, well, the people who are, yeah, the people who are actually genuinely reaching a young audience, the one they want to reach, uh, would be would be no laying up and and what Andy's doing and and there's some other people and 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 you look at the the uh, well what the hell I've lost the uh, the word that they all love the impressions the impressions that they get whether it's likes or or views of videos and all that the ones who are who are genuinely authentic who are who are doing this stuff are getting the traction and when these these host organizations do it look I kind of get why they do it but. Ultimately, when you have your your name and you're the official organization, it's just the audience is never going to truly buy it. They're going to know that it's coming from a place of of uh, they're trying to sell you something or they're trying to convince you they're they're something they're not, and or it 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 just isn't ever going to work, no matter how authentic you are, because you never do call anything out that is a little bit off or have some laughs at something that goes wrong and um or have a interesting debate so it's just propaganda and and then some things never change people generally see through that well l- listen up usga if you've got this far in the podcast because you're about to get oh, a first-hand baby. report on how this stuff we works clates yeah. you are in fact i think the pied piper of golf your appeal is cross-generational and i mean that quite sincerely the kids love you all of us old blokes love you. How do you do that? Because I don't think you're deliberately doing it. What do you think? You know a lot of young golfers, and a lot of young golfers um, make an effort to come and talk to you. Not all of them agree with you. We know that. There's been plenty of, plenty of young kids who think you're a, a silly old bloke, no doubt. But you do have a cross-generational pill, and I don't think you're trying to do it, are you? So what do you think that's about? No, it's just because I, you know, I come across kids who – play at the golf club I play at or, or whose parents I knew or who were good players like Elvis Smiley and you know what so I just and I'm and I've always just been interested in golf and how and I and I see kids in the same position I was when I was their age and you you know Peter Thompson helped everyone here and that was always part of the deal was that the older generation helped the kids coming along so Thompson Von Nida did it and Thompson did it and Marsh did it and Finchie does it and I try and do it a bit. So, but I think if you, you know, if you, if you like golf and you come across kids who love golf, then I mean, I, mean, I play with them because they're the most interesting kids, people to play with at the golf club. Apart from a couple of old guys I play with, I mean, I, they're really fun to play golf with. So, you know, and, I, and I'm, I think you've still, I mean, I know lots of my contemporaries who, uh, you know, have no interest in golf anymore. Like, like Ryan Grady, who's a great man of mine, lives around the corner from Elvis Smiley. On the Gold Coast, what grades has never played golf with us? Would have no interest in playing golf with him, and you couldn't drag him away from his house to go and play golf with him, which is just seems bizarre to me. But and that's his choice. That's fine. But you know, if I was up there, I'd be playing golf with Elvis every day if I if I could, because he's you know he wants to be the best player in the world. And he's a really good player, and he loves it. And you know, so I, I just I'm drawn to the attraction of kids who love golf because it, 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 it reminds me of what I was like when I was their age. Yeah, what do you reckon that's about, Shaq? Because because not only would Clates want to play with Elvis every day, Elvis would want to play with Clates. I think that's the difference. There's an appeal there. What do you reckon that's about, Shaq? 
do I look like a Freudian analyst? Come on, <laughs> yeah. come on. This is this is a little deep here for me. I have. Uh, I, I, There's something I in it though, isn't there? Clates is an old bloke, and I don't mean that disparagingly. We're, we're all old blokes. Well, Young kids don't come up to me. Young kids aren't aren't drawn to me to talk about or be interested I, in golf. Yeah, but I I've been fascinated by by. Uh, a lot of, I mean, this is this is the way it was when I was a kid. I was I was interested in playing with older people who were inter- who were fun to play with and who who didn't look down upon me as a younger golfer. And I've kind of, I mean, I'm heartened to hear this about Clay's because I've I've seen more and more just kind of a younger group uh, is so into the uh, their group and not really that interested in in uh, people who who came a little bit before them so i'm heartened to hear that because i've always wondered like was i this was i this age discriminating when i was uh you know from 15 to, to 25 as i see a lot of uh, the the millennials are now where they're just nothing really is real or special unless it happened with one of somebody in their generation or we need our generation to be, be declared the athletes like we've never seen before and better than they've ever been. There's like some needy thing there. I don't, I know I just, I've tried, I've thought about it a lot. Did I ever have that? Did I need to hear that, that the, the eighties, the golfers of the late eighties and early nineties and mid nineties were the greatest ever seen. And I, I just, it's, it's a different mindset and I don't know where that sort of, and it's not even where it's not even needy. I don't know what the word is, but there is a, there is a, a thirst for something, uh, an affirmation that what we're doing right now is being done like nobody's ever done it before. And I, I, I was kind of always way more interested in the past and maybe that just made me unusual, but I just, I don't remember my peers thinking that way either. I, I, we enjoyed playing with, uh, you know, uh, we just enjoyed playing with people you enjoyed playing with. It didn't. It, it didn't matter their age. It was fun to have a game with whoever was fun to have a game with. I, I just. I don't. Uh, I, I. It's a different thing for me. I don't. I don't know what to say. I. Agree. I think the world has changed, and I think a part of it is that that little device in your pocket has changed everything about the world because. Well, it's just changed everything about the world. It's changed yeah. everything about everybody. Is that that phone and the connection to the rest of the world twenty four seven completely totally and utterly accessible at all times it's created different 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 mm. people and you see it in sort of young media for want of a better term there's a real focus on self a lot of it is very very self-indulgent yeah um, yeah because kids have grown up with a camera it's in their pocket and a right and a microphone sure. it's in their pocket and a you know, way to communicate with the world by text because it's in their pocket. And that's changed a bunch of stuff, I think. So it's not about right and wrong. It's just different. A lot of it's not yeah, to my taste because yeah. I'm an old bloke, but uh, that right. doesn't mean that it's wrong. So, yeah, it's just interesting. So we'll, uh, mm. we'll see. Well, that's the US Open. So what's, what, what do we look forward to now, Shaq? Well, um, Augusta National needs to get some seed on the ground mm. and uh, get their course in shape for a November Masters. And is it? That's uh, what we have to look forward to. Um, will it have and, a tournament uh, ball? Not this year, but is that is that? No, where we but end I, up? I am obviously. I'm just you know trying not to get too excited about the prospect of of Bryson be able to make this 48 inch driver work and to be able to get to the the 360 carry um, and and make a mockery of the place because they are ultimately the only ones who can do something 
make it clear what their reason is, why, and that people would understand why. And they're who's who's gonna who's gonna pick a fight with Augusta National uh, in the in the this this uh, in the higher ups in golf and amongst the the players and the agents and the manu they're not they're not gonna do it. So they're the one. You know, they're not weakened. The USGA is a weakened organization. I sense the RNA was weakened, and Martin Slumbers has made them way stronger with the players. I don't know about the constituency of golfers. I can't I can't speak to that, but I do sense that they have a stronger place with, with uh, the players who are obviously incredibly influential. And the USGA is still in a weakened place, and, trying, try, and the harder they try... The, the the less it really matters to the players. It's going to take a long time just to recover from some of those things. But the last two U.S. Opens, I think, are a great start. Uh, but the Gusta, who's gonna who's gonna tell them that? Uh, no, I'm not coming. Well, it'll be, be a test. <laughs> I mean, you can it? do it. You're it'll gonna be, be you're gonna make a mockery of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And everybody would understand why they do it. Um, so I. I would. I think we need to see a Masters though, where it just it's like with the Hootie time where it got ridiculous. The difference being this time is Fred Ridley is not Hootie Johnson. He's a he's a much more golf savvy person. Is he the man for the taken, moment? Shall yeah, I think so because he's clearly had a shift since since the days when I was a little hard on him <laughs> when he was USGA president. In terms of, uh, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day uh, who was doing a research on a piece about the woke crowd and, and, and why we want to see Augusta restored and played a certain way and have the fairways actually be cut like fairways and the ball roll a lot. Um, and I, I, you know, just look at the way Fred Ridley admires McKenzie and Bobby Jones and, and memorizes actually literally can verbatim recite descriptions of the holes. Now it didn't translate to a perfect restoration of the fifth hole, but it is it is informing his thinking uh, and 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 his passion for this topic, and that's a different guy than the one who was at the USGA. And I, you know, Hootie Johnson probably couldn't have. Even, I'm not even sure if he could have picked uh, Alistair McKenzie out of a if he gave him a lineup of photos of old guys and yeah. outfits, he would even know what he looked like. Um, Tom Fazio might not either, but but Fred Ridley does, and he admires what thinking went into their um, approach to the course. And in certain holes, obviously, he's really studied that. And uh, is, so I, I, I love it. I think yeah. it'll be fun. Is the chairman still all-powerful at Augusta National Shack, or are there more oh, internal yeah. politics to be considered these days than perhaps in the past? Yeah, they, I mean, they don't have any they don't have any manufacturer CEOs as members. So the members, it is a very business community driven group of people and that is a same mindset issue that the usga has of interfering with somebody else's business there's no question that's a that's a hurdle but those people all play the course and they all know the silliness of having to continue to build new tees and the money they they probably have some idea what was spent to acquire that land behind 13 for a few different reasons but one of them is the option to lengthen the hole if they if they have to so they know they and you know that's always the way it is with these things. If they actually have a personal uh, connection or a, a or have to deal with this mess, then then suddenly the distance issue becomes 
becomes real to them. And I think to a majority of the people there, they understand what uh, the dynamics and, and issues are. You'd hope, wouldn't you? What always staggers me, Clates, is that the clubs that are home to these great courses, they always have a not insignificant portion of the membership are in tune with and understand the asset that they've got, but a lot don't. <laughs> There's a lot of Royal Melbourne members who don't really understand the importance of Royal Melbourne or its real genius. It's uh, it's always a bit odd, isn't it? They're not not everyone's there for the golf necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. So yeah. So is Augusta still in your mind, Clates? Is Augusta our best hope of something significant happening in a hurry? Well, I always thought it was the USGA and the RNA, but you're right. Augusta could just this year could have a bucket of balls on the first tee and say, you're playing with these, boys. Wow. And that, they would all turn up. Wow. So perhaps that is the play. Yeah, perhaps it's, it's going to take Bryson playing the 13th hole up the 14th fairway that finally breaks the camel's back. Is the straw that breaks the back of the I camel, think, isn't it? I think he's worked out that's the way to do it, isn't he? Hasn't he said that that's... Just blast it out in the 14th fairway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. coming from over there. Yeah, no, he's gonna he's gonna do that in a few holes and all that. Now the the weather's different that time of year, and and who knows how much run there will be, if any. There hasn't been much roll on the course anyway. Colder weather. You saw a Winkfoot. Uh, I think you would have seen. Yeah, the numbers went way down when it got pretty cool there. So the weather does play a role in all that stuff, and just it plays a role in how they, how many layers they're wearing and how they feel. So. Uh, we saw that at Harding. It it uh, it is it is one way to kind of have a natural rollback. <laughs> Turn it into a winter sport. Is this what you're suggesting? Yes, <laughs> put a dome over it. Yeah, and pump in cold air. Turn the yeah. temperature down. Interesting stuff. Luke. We'll leave it there for today. There's uh, still loads of stuff, obviously, to pick apart. We didn't even get into the whole media thing, and uh, we sort of touched on it a little bit with the marketing. But as always, Shaq's been fantastic to catch up with you. Um, will you be at the Masters? I uh, know. No, they will not credential me either. Oh. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, they 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 uh they rejected me politely though. Very is it nicely. A, is it legitimately a problem with COVID and numbers or is there something else at play there? Uh that's part of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, they rejected me before COVID as a uh I'm 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 a I'm a website. They don't they don't uh oh, I see I'm, a, I'm a blog. They don't recognize blogs. They read it, but they <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't count uh, it, as a as a news organization. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, disappointing given where we are these days, and some of the other digital outlets get rejected as well. And it's just a generational thing. They're still very much into newspapers and print. That's and bizarre, is it? Less for, so. Yeah, for, for a tournament very- whose whose digital presence is a right, leader, exactly in that exactly. space every totally. single year. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, best in the business. Uh, have have broken new ground with it, um, have embraced that in recent years and, and to great success and gotten great accolades for it. But yeah, they, and, and you know what? I don't, I don't take it that personally because I know where the newspaper print thing comes from and it comes from a place of, <clears throat> it has nothing to do with, uh, in their case with me or what I write or what Annie Johnson does or what No Laying Up does. It comes from this tournament was built in part and saved in part, large part, because writers came down here on a train every year yeah. and and carried us when when we needed it. And they've retained that loyalty, even though all the people who were involved in that are long gone. So it's uh, I admire that about them. I, I just say that- do think, though, that they, <laughs> they are going to have to accept that – 
some of the most trusted voices in golf are not um, working for the the traditional publications any longer. Well, do, how many newspapers have a golf writer anymore? Oh, very few, very yeah. few. Yeah, no, and then that's the thing that is a little hard to take is those people that do still get to go for a newspaper. It's probably the one or two tournaments a year they cover. Yeah, well, it's, and, and most and that's, uh, most yeah. newspaper writers are writing for themselves online these days because there's nowhere else left to write. So, right, right, and then in a lot. A lot of them they'll send, you know, at the PGA, there were several writers from newspapers still, but they were all guys who work other beats, but they happen to be close to the region or they kind of like golf or, or they just had no choice. <laughs> well, there you go. Good thing we didn't have the media conversation. Uh, great to catch up, Shaq. Looking forward to doing it all again soon. And with the Masters coming up, I'm sure that we will. Clay, it's always fantastic to talk to you. Thank you for taking some time today, mate, and uh, looking hey, forward to right. catching up again soon. Good stuff. I enjoyed it. Well, um, we, we missed the fence at the A&A, which... I suppose, our, well, I suppose our views would be quite predictable, so we probably don't need to discuss it, but yeah, that's fine. For, for anyone who might have missed it, I mentioned this on the other podcast that we do, Good Good, and I know we've spoken about this, Clades. The, the disturbing thing about that was that nobody apparently at the LPGA looked at that early in the week or at some point the week before and said, you know what, this doesn't look good. That, that, that's the, the really just the, the, the lack of golf IQ. That's really kind of... Anyway, um, it was bizarre. It was truly bizarre. Truly bizarre. Hopefully, it won't. Would happen you again. have? Would you have thought the tournament was tainted if they took it down after no. thirty-six holes? No, yeah, and this is what gets lost. It's the golf element, which, and this is the problem with I think all of the professional golf organisations and tournament organisers. Golf becomes the the least priority. The actual playing of the golf, and that's a prime example of it right there. I mean, that's clearly just a commercial decision. We've got a sponsors relationship. This is what's in the contract, so. Golf be damned, we put it there, no matter what. And, and you only damage your product ultimately, don't you, Clades, if that's what you really well, – And I wasn't there, but like I've carried there a few years ago. Likely the first two days they were playing off the back tee when everyone laid up anyway. So it's only when they move the tee up on the last day that people start going for the green. So, so it's not relevant when they're hitting wedges to it. No. It, it was probably no. – yeah, It was probably only relevant that last day when the tee was up and the players were going for the green in two. Yeah, and, you know, of course, it was the worst of all possible outcomes, predictable though it was. It absolutely came into play. 100% oh, was um, yeah. was, a, was a part of the – well, less, hopefully lesson learned, Shaq, do you think? I no. hope, no. but I doubt it. Yeah. Horrendous PR for the organisation and everybody involved. Yeah. It was just hor- and including the sponsor. If you were the sponsor, you'd be going to the LPGA saying, mm, golf's supposed to be your part of this deal? And uh, right. we're looking bad because you got some of the golf wrong. That's how I think. That that, that hopefully would be. So I would we'll hope. And you couldn't even see their names on the no. on the, the wall. No. The the Great Wall of Dinah, as no. Beth Ann <laughs> branded it so perfectly. Yeah, they were in small letters at the top, so it wasn't ever in the camera shot. It was just oh. Oh, and when they went to the when they went to the aerial, oh, it was just oh my god. No. So- one of those so, rare situations that no redeeming features whatsoever, Shaq. Nothing, no part of that did they get right. Nothing. It didn't look good. It no. didn't, um, it didn't do br- the branding work. It was, oh, and I, I'm sorry, but it cost Jessica Corder that tournament, I, I feel. Nelly Corder. Nelly. Yeah. I'm sorry, Nelly Corder. Yeah, yeah. I keep calling yeah. her like her sister's name, like yeah. an old man. God, <laughs> that's unbelievable. Right, Enough out of She us. played so well. I mean, yeah, gosh. She yeah. she's, she's, a, she's a, such an extraordinarily good player, isn't she? It's... Uh, which wasn't, and, and the other two, you know, Brooke Henderson, everybody played great. I, you know, you don't want to 
but gosh, when they when you're trying to decide to go for the greener too, and you know you can take the longer club because it won't go in the water long. I mean, it's just a no brainer. It just totally changes the, it would the have whole been, dynamic of it. It would have been a fantastic finish without the wall. Yeah, yeah. You know that that's the thing. You, you, we can't yeah. say what would have happened because you can never say what what would have happened. But my goodness, why do we have to have the discussion? Just. If it hadn't been there, everything about the tournament would have been better, and it would have been one of the more memorable for a tournament that kind of needed it. You know, there's been some some iffy things happen there the last few years, and so that's that's the last thing they needed. So anyway, that's uh, so there you go. We did get our say about the wall. Hey, we talked about. You feel better now? Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> well but the thing is, it's such an ordinary course. Given that they've been to Troon, they're going to Aronimenkin Champions. The, the the two outliers are the Evian and the A and A. It's amazing that. Some of the LPJ doesn't say, if we're going to keep coming to the desert, why don't we do something with this golf course? Why don't we, let's get a decent architect in to come and make this a much better golf course than it is. Because it it's been great. It was, Troon was great. Aronimi is going to be fantastic for the PGA in a couple of weeks. And you know. Well, the, the PGA is the key to this. Isn't it? I mean, they've already proved to themselves with the PGA how quickly you can turn around and elevate an event simply by choosing your venues yeah. more yeah. wisely. And that's a tournament that has benefited enormously from, what's it been, about five or six years, I think, Shaq, since they started to go to really, really proper yeah. quality golf courses that have proper golf history and a proper golf course. Yeah. So the, the, the business case has been laid out right there in front of you. you know, elevate the course, you elevate the I tournament. Um, I know, and then we discussed more, more and more courses are open to hosting the women probably versus 20 years ago. Uh for a variety of reasons, either the rise of the women's game or, or a club that just says, well, well, well no, we don't, we don't want that. That version that the, the men are playing is just not, doesn't fit us. And, um, but we can still showcase great golf and be part of the golf world and be on television and, and get the kind of notoriety. And so they're there. I just don't know if the, the desire or the effort on from the LPGA commissioner is quite there yet on, because I know a lot of people have had the architecture chat with him, and, and, and it's just and, – and, and I don't know. I mean, you know, he's, he's got to get sponsors. That, uh, I get that, it. I don't, know, I don't know what he's dealing with on that front. No, no, of course. Say. Yeah. I, you get the yeah. priorities, but – Yeah. Uh, you can't be – But at some point, yeah, you would, you would like to think that, uh, that, that he would see a Wilshire, like Merced, some of the places that they have gone where it's, it's up the game and the reaction. Action's been there, and the, and the finish has been there, and he would he would uh, he would make that connection. The good news for them is that the USGA is is thinks that way, and the PGA of America with the, the uh, KPMG LPGA is is going in that direction. It's basically becoming a package deal if you want a PGA Championship, or you want, of course they book till twenty whatever, but they've they've gotten more. Uh, places to open up their doors to the to the women as part of kind of just being a partner of theirs with other tournaments. So that's that's been fantastic. When we weren't sure how that was going to go with the LPGA and the PGA of America and that whole arrangement. So it's been a to me, it's just been. And then the ratings have been great uh, with with the NBC element and and all that. And that was the other thing that was a bummer about the NA. I mean, they went up against golf, other sports. Uh, they did not get a good rating. They got they outrated the men at the Safeway. They had that going for them, but not, no, both tournaments were not <laughs> watched. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I and that's my uh, and I get it. They want to show that the women are equal to men. Blah 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 blah. No, you need to finish on a Monday. 
Okay. When there's a Sunday, when there's 14 different things going on, and you knew that when you were rescheduling, you've just got to start finishing on a Saturday or Saturday a Monday. Or Monday. Yeah. Get yeah. off of this. This we're going to try to compete. Why? What? You know, the champions are seeing it now. Uh, I just don't get it. I, do, I Go, don't get it. Find a space and and own Gosh. it. Just take ownership of it. You're absolutely yeah. right. It, uh, it, it, it might be become a, a great little tradition, at least in the United States, where people, oh, hey, the women are finished. I don't want to watch this Monday night game. The women are finishing out at, watch, you know, wherever. And, Saturday feels more sensible to me. You can still get people to the call, though. That might be a thing of the past now with COVID. The, the yeah, well, that's less the other think part. About, isn't it? But, uh, right. With no people, you, you have more flexibility, not less. So... Yeah, I hope they I hope they start thinking that way. All these tours do. I mean, this is ridiculous when they're all. I mean, we had the champions at Pebble Beach yesterday, uh, the women in Portland. Their their replay isn't even airing today on the Golf Channel. I mean, nobody watched those things going up head against uh, the U.S. Open and head to head against the NFL games here. And then you know, you don't even get the replay today because <laughs> it was a U.S. Open. It's unusual, but. Yeah. Like what were you doing? Like why? Why are you trying to compete? And by the way, it's beautiful at Pebble. I want to watch it, but I want to see how it played. It was a gorgeous weather and Furyk one, but Playoff there couldn't have been yeah. there couldn't have been anybody watching the thing. Well, plus the women aren't playing this week. Why? Why wouldn't you play in Portland this week? When another fine question. Yes, <laughs> it is always easier to be on the outside and pick these problems apart. These decisions are made so far well, in advance. And, that- and yeah, and there are all these contractual things. And let's hope that with the next deal that they they've secured a little bit more flexibility that way but i don't know i don't i'm not sure if they have nobody said anything yet it's, it's so i that's why i'm not not totally confident oh, well there you go well after the longest closer in podcast history yeah yeah we, <laughs> we better shut up we will actually say two-parter yeah if anybody yeah. is still with us thanks for sticking around we'll be back to do it all again next time thanks fellas been great to chat to you about State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.